You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. Beautiful and precious church and people of God, I have missed you. Uh, It's good to be back. And I trust, as has already been said, that you have had a wonderful summer. Just do me a tiny little favor, if you will, and just turn to the person next to them and just say to them, you are welcome, you are valued, you are blessed, I am happy you are here. Good to see you. (coughs) Well, as we, uh, as we settle down, I think just you'll be happy to know. I don't know if it's the same by your house as it is by mine, but it seems to be spider season, spider webs everywhere. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Was it just me? Oh, let me tell you, this morning I had a fight with a spider, and you'll be glad to know I am victorious. I won, and, uh, but I was, there was a moment where I thought I'm about to lose my life. I think I might still be covered in spider webs. It was ugly, but I'm happy to have made it, and I'm here. And uh, not such good news for the spider, I'm afraid. <laughs> Friends, so for the last few months, you will know as a church... We have been reminding ourselves, we've been speaking about this fact that Jesus, before his ascension, made a promise to us, to his followers, and he said, I'm going to leave you a gift. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to help you, to empower you, to strengthen you, to lead you, to guide you, to counsel you, to comfort you. As you seek to live in faithful obedience to the good news gospel, to the message of Christ, as you seek to be faithful followers, I am here to help you. And as an extension of that, this last month, we've been reminding ourselves that Jesus is helping us and we're growing and we want to be his followers, just not to be a bless me club, but that in actual fact, we have been given the mission of God. So part of this, the Holy Spirit wanting to help us is to help us fulfill God's mission. You remember Jesus saying, and my spirit will come on you and you'll receive power and you must go into the ends of the earth and preach and proclaim the good news, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in Jesus' name. And so we've been reminding ourselves of that, that we church have a mission. And it's just been so good. Let me tell you, I've, I've, I've caught uh, some moments here and there of the sermons online on summer. I've, I've uh, sat in the, in the Kruger Park. Now, those of you who've ever been there will know that the internet is very patchy, very sporadic. But I've tried my best at moments to, to catch some of the sermons on the Sundays. And let me just tell you, I mean, you, you will know, I am so grateful to God for this incredible preaching team that we have. I mean, summer was so good, wasn't it? I mean, we just had such beautiful preaching. In fact, I I was flying back and I was thinking, Paul, you don't have to preach ever again. (laughs) So, So we might be headed that way, I don't know. 
We've got such great preachers, and I just want to say a massive thank you to them. They've worked hard, and they have faithfully preached God's Word, and I am just so thankful to God for that. My prayer has been, Lord, coming out of uh, speaking about your Holy Spirit, reminding ourselves of missions, what, what do I say next to your people, to your church? And it's just been so clear to me. And so out of this comes a short little mini-series, as Stefan said. Just so clear to me that, the, that there's always a danger for us. Especially when we speak about Holy Spirit things and about how God wants to, wants to grow me and change me and help me and what God wants to do for me. There is always a danger to become a people of navel gazers where we just look inward and become so focused on ourselves. And that we forget that all this help that God wants to give us is actually to get out into the world. Yes, for me to be changed, to become more like Jesus. But ultimately, it is to bring the, king of, the kingdom of heaven and establish it here on earth. And so I feel God wants me to share with us this incredible passage from the book of Micah of all people. Have you ever even heard of the book of Micah? Have you read it? It is an incredible book. If you haven't, look it up. It's in the Old Testament, right? In case you're not sure where it is. Only got seven chapters. A short, you can read it in 20 minutes, quick and easy. But an absolutely beautiful book. And in this book, so by the way, chapter 5 of that book, we have one of the most important prophecies of the birth of Jesus. 700 years before he was born. Great book. Go and read it. So the next two, three weeks, there is a verse in this book, in chapter 6, verse 8, that I believe God wants to say, hey, Crossroads, can I just remind you of this? As we seek to be a community who wants to live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to take us down this journey, and I'm excited about that. The series of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, was just the beginning, not the end. But it's as if God said, can I just remind you of something as we go down this road? So I want to read for us, and I think it's so important for several reasons why I want us to study Micah for a few weeks, because not only do I believe that it gives us a picture of what God wants from us, what God requires of us as his followers, as his people. But it also, I believe, gives us a roadmap toward building the kingdom of heaven here on earth now, today. So that you and I get to experience the good life, not just one day in heaven, but here now. Let's read it. I'm going to read from verse 6 of chapter 6 to verse 8. I'll give us background to it now. Just don't worry. Let's just read it first. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? 
Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Or, or, or shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What does God want from us? Verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And here it is. Are you ready for it? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Some translations say, and to walk in humble obedience to your God. Here's what God requires of us. As his followers, his church, the year 2023, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And for the coming weeks, I want us to look at those three things, if that's okay with you. I want us to really reflect upon and ask the question, what does it mean to be the church of Jesus here, now, today? What is God calling us to? To be, to become, to do, asking of us, requiring of us. What is the heart of God for the people of God here now, what does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus now, here, today? To be in a holy huddle? To gather and close the doors in a small little space and sing our songs and read our verses? What is it that God is asking of us to do, to be, to become? What does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What does it mean <coughs> to close the gap between what the world is now and what it should be? The kingdom of God versus what we see here on earth and experience here now on earth. What is our role? What is God asking of us to close that gap and build his kingdom here now? In other words, what does it look like when our faith translates out of this space between 10 and 11 on a Sunday morning out of this building? What does it look like when it translates into the real world? What is all this help that the Holy Spirit is giving me? What does it look like tomorrow morning in the office? And I believe Micah 6 verse 8 gives us a wonderful start 
and sets us on our way. It's an incredible passage because I believe not only do we encounter these ideas right throughout the Old Testament, but we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ living this, the very embodiment of Micah 6 verse 8. He teaches us, he models us, he shows us, he, he asks this of us. And so our very Lord lived this. Micah 6 verse 8. And so it's worth us having a little look and examining this and asking questions of ourselves. Do I do justice? Do I love kindness? And do I walk humbly with my God? And we're going to just ask, what does that exactly look like? And what does that mean? The first thing I want you to notice, however, in this passage is that the power of this passage lies in the wording. The power in this passage lies in this one sentence. This is what the Lord requires of you. That's what makes this passage so powerful. It's not a case of, <coughs> sorry, it's not a case of, listen, here's a suggestion. You know, like the um, speed limits in the Netherlands <laughs> seems to be a suggestion. Listen, if you feel like it, you can go 100, you know, but you do what you think is best. <laughs> and most of you think 100 is way too slow. <laughs> That's my hobby horse, but let's move on from that. <laughs> I really think I'm the only guy that sticks to the speed limit in this country. But anyway, okay, we're moving on. Right? So this is not a case of, listen, if you think it's a good idea, listen, don't you think it would be nice if we, if we kind to one another? I mean, use it, don't use it. It's up to you. You know, if we, if we treat one another justly and fairly, I mean, wouldn't that, I mean, that sounds like a good idea. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, if we walk humbly with God. No. It's here is what God requires. This is the requirement. Not a suggestion. Here's the requirement. And I think we need to take notice because that's where the power lies in this passage for me. Okay, so a bit of background. We need to just understand because context gives meaning. We need to understand the context, a bit of background. So you're going to need to bear with me a bit. Here comes a bit of history. Be ready. Okay. So. Micah is what we call a minor prophet. Minor, not because he's less important, but just because of the length of the information, the volume. It's a shorter book. It's only got seven chapters. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate it. It's only got seven chapters. It'll take you 20 minutes to read. So that's why we call it a minor prophet, not because it's less important than the major prophets. Micah is an eighth century before Christ prophet. The contemporary of uh, Isaiah, um, Hosea, Amos, contemporary of those prophets, those, um, Isaiah, one of the major prophets. So, lived around, was born around 750 or so years before Jesus was born. Now, it's important for us to understand what was going on when he was writing this. And so here comes a bit of history, please just bear with me. You may or may not know or remember that about 900 years before Jesus was born, after King Solomon died, the kingdom split into two. 
right? So in the north, we have what we call uh, the kingdom of Israel. Its capital was Samaria. And in the south, we have what we call the kingdom of Judah. And its capital was Jerusalem. Well done, you know this. Its capital was Jerusalem. So you had these two little nations split into two, um, occupying really a very strategic politically, economically, strategic parts of the world. They were located right on the trade routes that essentially connect Asia and Africa. Unfortunately, however, these two tiny nations were surrounded by big, powerful nations. At that time, what we're talking about, Micah now, at that time, to the north was the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire, and its capital was? Uh, not so smart now, are you? It's a joke. Of course you're smart. With its capital, Nineveh, which today is called? Nineveh. Most, yeah, well, good, yeah, almost. Today is called Mosul in Iraq. And so the Assyrians were a powerful nation. To the south, we had the Egyptians. Now, at this time, the Assyrians controlled the trade routes. And so poor old little uh, Judah and Israel, they had to pay taxes to the Assyrians to keep the peace. And they believed, you will know this from the Old Testament, there was this belief from the people of Israel, the people of God, that we will be okay because God is on our side. God will protect us. God is faithful and he will look after us. <coughs> and so with God on our side, everything is okay. But what was happening now Egypt to the south was busy flexing her muscles and whispering in the ear of uh, Israel and Judah saying, listen, if we kind of stand together and I join forces with you guys, we can change the situation here. We can get rid of the Assyrians and, um, you know, you guys don't have to pay so much taxes anymore and we can work out a new situation for ourselves. And so they thought about this, and then instead of relying on God as their God, they thought, listen, we'll make our own plan. And uh, they chose sides with the Egyptians, and uh, so they stopped paying taxes. The Assyrian king, well, he wasn't happy about that. You can imagine that. And so he sends his army, and he marches with his army to the uh, kingdom of Israel to the north. And uh, so then at that point, and the king of Israel quickly phoned the king down in Egypt. And he said, listen, buddy, you remember that conversation we had? Well, now's the time. Uh, we need you. Send your chariots and your horses. The Egyptian phone line wasn't working. Uh, well, the Egyptians didn't rock up at all. They thought, uh, no, we're not doing this. We'll leave them out, hang them out to dry. The Egyptians don't show up. Well, absolute disaster. 733 years before Jesus was born, the Assyrian king marches into the northern kingdom of Israel, absolutely destroys them, flatters them. It was a big disaster. Takes them captive, uh, takes them into exile. They intermarry with other people and so on. But you may have heard this phrase, the lost tribes of Israel is connected to this period of time, right? And uh, disaster. So they lose the battle big time, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now the king of Assyria, he keeps marching further south to the kingdom of Judah. And he stops just outside of Jerusalem. 
by a town called, forgive my pronunciation, Lakish. That's how I say it, as a South African. They stop right there because there was another war he had to deal with, and uh, then come back, and they invade Lachish just outside Jerusalem. Again, disaster, beat them easily. And so now they panic. The people of Jerusalem panic. The king of Judah panic. So listen, okay, this is not, we're sorry. We made a mistake. What were we thinking going up against you? We ask for forgiveness. We'll pay the tribute that we need to pay. Here are your taxes. Here are some back taxes. We want to be your best friend. The king of Assyria says, okay, don't you ever do it again. And stop, and he withdraws his army. This is kind of the background to the book of Micah. Now, the book of Micah is written in a beautiful way. So just for you history buffs, so we're dealing here with the Assyrian exile, right, 733. There was another exile, the Babylonian exile. That was, what was the date? 597, 597, Anton. 597 was the date of, so it's about 130 or so years later, uh, we had the Babylonian exile. That's a different story for another day. We're dealing here with the Assyrian exile. So this is the background to Micah. Now, Micah's beautifully written. We have this kind of courtroom scene taking place where we have the prosecuting attorney. We have the defendants, the nation of Judah and Israel. They're on trial, and the prosecuting attorney lists, and go, go, go and read it. The jury is the mountains. It's, it's amazing. Beautiful book. Beautiful book. And the prosecuting attorney, he lists, uh, attorney, he lists the... Um, and the indictments and the charges against the defendants who is Israel and Judah. And this is the kind of uh, book that we're dealing with here. Anyway, so quickly run through the book. In, chapters, in chapter 1, what Micah does is he warns. This is what prophets do, right? They warn and they say, listen, guys, you're not living right. There's bad things going to happen. There's trouble on the way. Repent. Turn back to God. Uh, <clears throat> Ask God for forgiveness and surrender your lives to him. Now is the time to do it. Uh, and they're warning. Chapter 1, he's warning. There's some trouble on the way. What prophets then usually do, because what happens is, so they call people to repentance and they warn people. People inevitably never listen. Uh, but then what prophets do is, and this is wonderful, they then afterwards, after the disaster and the trouble, they then always come with words of encouragement and comfort and ultimately hope as well. So chapter 2 and 3, we have the scene where the prosecuting attorney, as it were, is now listing the offenses of the people, what they have done wrong. And what he's essentially saying is, you who have much are not treating those who have little justly. And it angers God. To those who have been given much, there is great responsibility in the eyes of God to live justly and rightly with what you have. How the rich treat the poor. And so he's saying, because you've not lived right and you've not lived justly, 
There's trouble coming. Chapter 2 and 3, he's listing some of this. Just listen to some of it. Here's some examples. Chapter 2, verse 2. They want fields, so they just take them. They want houses, so they take them away. They cheat people to get their houses, and they rob them even of their property. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then I said, listen, leaders of the people of Jacob, listen, you rulers of the nation of Israel. You should know how to decide cases fairly. And so how this was working, let me just practically, is if you had connections, if you had wealth, if you had power, if you had money, then you could influence the court system. If you were not connected, not rich, not educated, and you were poor, then you had no little, or you had very little say in the court system, and chances were you were not going to be treated justly, and the verdicts would usually go in favor of the powerful and the rich and the connected. So it says, listen, you should know how to decide cases fairly, but you hate good, love evil. Verses 9 and 11 of chapter 3, leaders of Jacob, rulers of Israel, listen to me. You who hate fairness and twist what is right. You build Jerusalem by murdering people. You build it with evil. Its judges takes money to decide who wins in court. It, its priests only teach for pay. And its prophets only look into the future when they get paid. And then they still lean on the Lord and say, the Lord is here with us, so nothing bad will happen to us. Chapters 2 and 3. So this is the indictment. Against the defendants, Judah and Israel. You're not living justly. Then in chapters 4 and 5, so obviously then the destruction and the chaos has happened. Now we see a shift in chapters 4 and 5. There's some encouragement and there's hope. And it's in chapter 5 that we have this beautiful prophecy of the birth of Jesus. That there's hope. God's not done with you yet. God loves you. Turn to God. And, there's, and so he encourages and he says that there's still hope. And then we get to chapter 6 where we are going to focus. And what happens in chapter 6, the defendants now, so Israel now speaks up and says, come to the realization, okay, God, we, we've not lived right. We have, we have messed up. And so they come and they say, okay, to the court as it were, okay, well then, what shall we do? What what must we do? What do you want from us, God? How do, we, how do we fix this? How do we get out of this? And so here we read in, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6, with what shall I now come before the Lord and bow myself before God and I? Must I come to him with burnt offerings? Is this what God wants? Is this what he requires? We want to make this right, God. Or, or shall I come with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I, or, or, or perhaps what God wants is my firstborn for my transgressions, Israel says. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Asking God, okay, what, what do you want? And so the prosecuting attorney in this case, he goes, he goes no, stop it. Stop with all your offerings and your, and, your, and your lambs and your things and bringing this and thinking you can do that. No, stop it. That's not what God wants. And he says, here is what God requires of his people. And we have verse 8. 
and my dear and beautiful friends, as the people of God in the year 2023 after Christ, not much has changed. Our world is equally, if not more, unjust. And so I believe with all my heart that God's word to us is the same. My people, will you look and see what goes on around you? And here is what I require of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, justice in five minutes. The Hebrew word mishpat appears over 400 times in the Old Testament and the idea of justice right throughout the New Testament. We see Jesus living this idea of justice. We understand justice as, you know, to be uh, equitable, to be fair, to treat people right. And yes, it is those things. But very quickly, biblical justice. There are two slash three key ideas behind what God is looking for and how God understands and is asking of us what it means to live justly. Biblical justice got three ideas. The first, because it's a courtroom setting, is connected to this. So God understands biblical justice to mean this, to make correct judgments of other people. You see, here's the thing. We all make judgments of people all the time. Listen, I was on holiday now for a few weeks. So I was in Africa, I was in Spain, and I met a lot of people. And let me tell you, I made a lot of judgments. We judge people all the time. The way we tend to do it is this. We tend to elevate ourselves and put others lower than ourselves, and from an elevated perspective and from an elevated point of view, we make judgments on people. And so biblical justice calls us, first of all, to make right judgments about people from the perspective of God that says, this person is God's creation. This is my child. And will you judge this person from that godly perspective, a daughter of God, a son of God, equal to you, not beneath you? And will you judge him or her accordingly? It's about how I make judgments of people. And then the second idea that's connected to biblical justice as we, as we unravel this idea of justice is that it is a lifting up of. Love it. When God says, will you do justice, what he's saying, will you lift up the downtrodden? Will you lift up the lowly so that you are eye to eye, that they can live with dignity and beauty and respect? You and I have a responsibility to lift up, not to push down. Church, 
to translate your songs and your, and your faith from here into the real world is to live a life and constantly saying, my thought, my action, my response to you, will it lift you up or will it push you down? As the people of God, God requires of us to live lives that lift people up so that eye to eye. But here's the third thing that's beautiful. It's not just a lifting up for the sake of lifting up the poor and the downtrodden and the widow and the orphan and the lonely. It's not just lifting them up, but it is two things. It's, two, it's lifting up and drawing into. That's biblical justice. I lift you up and then I take you and I draw you to the table of God. It's I lift you up in order for you to have a meaningful relationship with God. I lift you and I draw you in. Beautiful. What kind of a church do we want to be? And to that end, do we want to be a church that says, God, we want to live Justy and do justice. We want to make right judgments of people. All the resources you have given us, we do not want to be a church and individuals and people that just want to live to get out of life everything that I can for myself, but I want to live and use resources I have to live in such a way to live others up and to lift them up and to draw them closer to you. That's how I want to spend my life. That's how I want to use my resources in the aid of lifting up and drawing into the heart of of God. Last week, I'm done, don't worry about it. Last week, Steve mentioned Eliana, she was on stage, and the Nivestat project in the Balmer area. We have decided as a leadership and as a church that we want to be a church that do justice. So we've decided to adopt this project as our number one key local mission project. And so next week, I'm going to get Ileana back on stage, and we've got a whole video for you, and we're going to explain it in more detail. And we're going to give you opportunity to practically live out the lifting up of those who have been downtrodden and draw them into the table of God. Why is this? Okay, I'm done. Sorry, just one more sentence. One more sentence. I'm done. One more sentence. Why is this so important? Why? Because when the people of God live this, when I live this way in my personal capacity and collectively, when the people of God live this, what we do is we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We bring the peace of heaven to earth here, now, today, we get to experience the good life. When the people of God do justice love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.